Act One of The Money Spinner by Arthur Wing Pinero. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Money Spinner Cast of Characters Lord Ken Gussie Read by Son of the Exiles Baron Crudel, read by Todd. Harold Boycott, read by Mark Nelson. Jules Faubert, read by Alan Mapstone. Millicent Boycott, read by Sonia. Dorenda Crudel, read by Jan Broder. Margot, read by Adrian Stevens. Stage directions, read by Michael Max. Act 1, 10 a.m. Act 2, 10 p.m. Scene. Boycott's Lodgings, 17 Rue Beauvoisine, Rouen. Time, the present. The Money Spinner. Act 1. Scene. Harold Boycott's Lodgings, 17 Rue Beauvoisine, Rouen. Time, 10 o'clock in the morning. A large morning-room, furnished in French fashion, brightly and gaudily. Walls and decorations in white and gold. At back, two windows, which open on a railed balcony overlooking the centre court. On right of stage, large double doors, closed. On the opposite side, a similar opening, leading into another apartment, closed by curtains in place of doors. Below doors right, a small writing-desk and chair. In the centre, an ottoman to seat three people. Between the two windows at back, a pretty black pianette. On the top of pianette, a folded newspaper and three unopened letters. A small drugget in centre is the only carpeting. Light chairs, mirrors, gold candelabra, etc., to fill spaces. On balcony, outside left window, a small table and two camp stools. The table is laid for breakfast, prettily à la française. The sun is streaming into the room. Lively French music to open. At rise of curtain, Margot enters through doors right carrying a bunch of grapes, a melon, and a bundle of flowers. Margot is Boycott's housekeeper, and is a blunt and jovial-looking woman of fifty. She wears a blue cotton-print dress with a scrupulously white cap and frilled apron. She closes the doors after her. Margot, who speaks French-English with the pronounced style of a Frenchwoman, surveying her purchases. Voila! There we are. Music ceases. She goes up to breakfast table and puts the flowers in a small vase in the centre. It is grand. Goes to the opening left and draws curtain. She claps her hands sharply and calls. Madame Milly, Monsieur Boycott, the breakfast. Madame Millicent, the breakfast. She goes off calling 
through the opening left, closing the curtains after her. Directly Margot has disappeared, there is a knocking outside the door's right. It is repeated, then the doors slowly open and the head of Monsieur Jules Faubert appears. Faubert, who also speaks with the accent of a foreigner. Boycott, my friend, are you at home? My friend Boycott, do you hear me? Receiving no answer, he enters rather cautiously and looks around. He is in black, wearing a long, tightly buttoned frock coat and a tall hat. His hair is red and closely cropped, his voice is soft, and his manner stealthy and mechanical. Where is Boycott, my friend? Ah, he has not yet taken his breakfast. He crosses over to the curtain's left and looks through. No one to be seen. Boycott asked me to call for him at ten o'clock in the morning, and it is now a quarter past ten by the great clock, and he is not visible. Walking round the room, inspecting the objects with curiosity. Yet he could not have left the house, for I have been watching at the front door since eight o'clock. Takes letters from top of Pianette. Besides, here are his letters, unopened. Examines them narrowly, scrutinising the writing and weighing them in his hand. One, Mr. Boycott, with the postmark of London. Two, Monsieur Boycott, with the postmark of Rouen. Three, Madame Boycott with the postmark of Paris. Replacing letters. Ah, uh, I have not yet the pleasure of the acquaintance of Madame Boycott. Poor soul, perhaps she will know me some day. Going over to door right. Well, I shall call again after breakfast. My friend Boycott is getting very unpunctual. A bad sign, a very bad sign. Goes quietly out, right, closing the doors after him as he leaves. Harold enters from left, followed by Millicent and Margot. Millicent goes to the breakfast table on the balcony. Harold seats himself dejectedly on Ottoman centre. Millicent is a pretty girl, dressed lightly and tastefully. Harold, a good-looking fellow in a dressing jacket. Millicent, at breakfast table. Oh, what beautiful grapes! Thank you, Margot. I know Madame would love them. Millicent sits at table. Margot fetches newspaper and letters from Pianette, coming down right of Ottoman. Letters for Monsieur giving Harold newspaper and the letters. As Harold takes them, he turns his head sharply towards door right. There are footsteps on the stairs. Who is there? I shall see. Millicent, on balcony. 
the sun has quite boiled the wine margot has gone to the doors right opened them and looked out harold to margot well i do not see the footsteps monsieur harold giving margot a letter give this letter to your mistress then go downstairs and ask the concierge if he has allowed anyone to pass this morning yes monsieur margot takes letter to millicent and then goes out right harold opening his letters aside the curse of these public staircases one is never free from intrusion might just as well live on the high road reading letter nothing but ill news from london nothing but dreary dreary disappointment morning after morning god help us crushes letter and puts it in his pocket opens the other of course from goreville the tyler will sue me for his account will he millicent from balcony how many letters harold one dear from whom harold opening newspaper goreville the tyler for his bill oh harold you ought to pay him yes i ought who writes to you it is father's handwriting i don't want to spoil my breakfast so i shan't open it yet what in heaven's name does your father want now millicent cutting bread a couple of my silk dresses for the rinder i'll be bound or another frock-coat of yours or something to make up the rent poor dad down on his luck again i suppose yes but i wish to goodness he wouldn't be so down on other people's why does not your sister dorinda go out into the world and earn her own living and wear honest stuff dresses as other women do poor dolly is so helpless helpless she is clever enough at turning the king into a corte oh harold it is the truth the first time that i met you at your father's house your ingenious little sister cleared me of six weeks salary i don't say she could help her position poor girl but it is a false one i say let your father give up his ugly little gambling parties and go to australia the baron can't dig baron indeed well then if he can't dig let him go to where come harold where well my darling don't insist on my allotting a destination to the baron it's a point on which i am likely to get a little warm you are unkind sir come to your breakfast harold does not pay any attention but reads newspaper absently harold aside suicide of a poor fellow from off the quay last night for what reason i wonder it's very fine and bright on the quay at night-time the water looks warm and soft and clear and if a man has a trouble upon his mind ugh i mustn't think of anything like that rises hurriedly and takes newspaper to desk right at which he sits turning newspaper and reading they were trying criminals yesterday at the court of aziz who is this reading octave bernier a clerk charged with embezzling the monies of his employers embezzlement good heavens the very thing they would say if reading eagerly guilty no extenuation sentence ten years ten long years poor wretch 
What do his friends say? The friends who have respected him. And his young wife, mocked at by the world, scorned by those who had professed to love her. Poor girl, poor girl. The paper drops from his hand, and he sits thinking. Millicent has risen from the breakfast-table, and walks along the balcony to the window right. She now appears there with a flower in her hand, which she has taken from the bouquet on the table. Millicent, opening the window softly. Harold. He does not hear her. Come to breakfast like a good boy. She throws the flower towards him. It falls short, then comes down to him quietly and places her hand on his shoulder. What is wrong, dear? Harold, starting. Who is that? It is I, Millie. What is the matter? What are you doing? Where is Margot? Who is that I heard upon the stairs? I don't know, Harold. Are you angry with me? Angry? No. Forgive me, Mill. I was dreaming. Millicent, leaning over his chair. Don't be selfish. Have your thoughts with me. I'll buy them off you. You are a true woman, always ready to make a bad bargain. Ah, oh, I knew something was wrong with you. For the past week you have been so anxious and careworn, have had long deep wrinkles on your poor old forehead. Tracing them with her finger. Like the tramway lines to Sonville, and ugly red eyes that look like danger signals. You are as white as the ceiling. You are silent when not muttering to yourself, and you smoke two dozen cigars and eat a thimble full of food a day. There is something on your mind. Won't you tell me what it is? It is nothing. At least, almost nothing. As you know, the heads of our firm are superintending the erection of another great factory at Marseilles, and I am for the moment left alone in Rouen with the sole direction of many hundreds of people, and with great cares and responsibilities. I am a young man. Perhaps the position is too grave for me. At any rate, I am a little worried. Leaning his head on his hand. That is all. You have nothing more to tell me? No. Sure? Yes, I am sure. Why do you ask so persistently? Millicent kneels beside him. I'll whisper it to you. Drawing his head near hers. Because, although I have been married nearly two years, I am over head and ears in love with Mr. Harold Boycott, and if I thought that my sweetheart could keep a secret from me, it would break my heart. They rise. Harold walks slowly to centre. Millicent? Yes? Don't you remember your old sweetheart, the man from whom I took you when we became engaged, the man who you would have married but for your love for me? Don't you remember? Yes, Lord Ronald Cangassi. What of him? I wish most sincerely that I had never taken you away from him. I wish that your love for him had been deeper than your love for me, and that you had become his wife. With all my heart, I wish it. 
if you have any love for me you won't speak to me like this harold for shame i wish it because king gussie is rich and i am poor because he is a gentleman and i a clerk in a cotton factory because he would have placed you beyond the reach of trials and dangers and i perhaps may live to drag you down to them trials and dangers going to harold i knew it let me share your danger i ask it as a right harold kissing her you shall share it when it comes i wish to heaven it were a right i could deny you margot enters door right millicent starts from harold margot clapping her hands oh madame i am so sorry that i enter on sea suddenly i love to see you kiss monsieur boycott be quiet margot ah oh, pardon me madame but i am a widow if i kiss my poor alphonse more frequently i should now be an happier woman oh, i am afraid you have been gossiping margot have you asked if any one has called for me this morning oh yes monsieur a gentleman a red-headed gentleman passed up and down the stairs he told the concierge he would return a red-headed gentleman relieved oh of course jules forbear to millicent my new fellow clerk milly whom you do not know a very good honest fellow to margot thank you margot margot goes off right harold and millicent seat themselves at table outside window at breakfast what induces monsieur forbear to call for you harold he seems to have taken quite a liking to me and he said it would please him to call for me on his way to business do you like him um i don't know he has only been in the office about a week so i can scarcely judge the man at any rate he sticks to me like a leech margot throws open the doors right monsieur forbear forbear enters harold rises and comes down meeting him centre ah forbear how do you do it is kind of you to call have you breakfasted forbear shaking his hand thank you yes we shall be late for our duties shall we not what a fellow you are for work they stand talking margot at door right i do not like monsieur boycott's new companion he is soft like the cat and cunning like the fox a noisy man is a nuisance a quiet man is a danger exit right i'll go at once and finish dressing pointing to newspaper there is the piper goes to opening left oh milly dear i beg your pardon this is monsieur forbear forbear my wife millicent rises bows and reseats herself forbear bows profoundly down stage right how do you do monsieur forbear to harold harold he goes to her you have eaten no breakfast forbear aside down stage madame is a very pretty woman her face reminds me of thoughtfully tapping his forehead mm, of whom does madame boycott remind me he sits at writing-table right and takes up newspaper millicent 
at table left to harold after all you didn't tell me your troubles dear i shall be so unhappy all day i was a fool to say what i did i'm a little harassed and vexed that is all forbear reading octave bernier a clerk charged with embezzlement no extenuation ten years good ah friend octave you don't know how much of that you owe to me kissing his hand to newspaper au revoir monsieur bernier millicent to harold must you go dear fear nothing darling all is well to forbear i am going to shave forbear wait five minutes he goes off through curtains left forbear aside to shave that means a razor i hate razors three times in my life i have been frustrated by a razor it is such a sudden temptation millicent puts her head round window and looks at forbear millicent aside what sort of man is harold's new friend i wonder forbear aside gazing at newspaper something tells me i am being looked at how curious women are monsieur forbear i was right he lays aside newspaper and rises madame i am so anxious about my husband he appears sadly harassed and overworked at his business can you tell me if there is any special reason for his anxiety Faubert goes up to window left. Millicent remains seated. Faubert, aside. Ah, the fool cannot keep his own secrets. To Millicent. I regret I cannot account for it, madame. And you work with him in the same counting-house? Ah, but in a different channel. His duty leads him one way, mine another madame pardon me yes your face seems strangely familiar to me have we met before millicent looking at him i have no recollection of such a pleasure ah uh, i am wrong but a man is always dreaming sweet images and when he meets with the embodiment of his dreams he sees of course a familiar face oh thank you monsieur faubert aside i don't like this man faubert aside i have seen this woman before upon my soul i have margot enters door right madame the portard with the lorige a porter dressed in a blue blouse enters carrying a box a miscellaneous luggage which he deposits upstage right centre margot then shows him out millicent crossing over to luggage luggage whose luggage reading labels good gracious papa and dorinda excuse me monsieur faubert 
running towards opening left and calling. Harold, Harold, here's the family. Runs out left. Forbear goes to luggage. Papa's luggage? What is Papa's name? Reading label. Ah, mon dieu, I was right. The Baron Crudel, passenger from Paris to Rouen. Crudel, the proprietor of a little gambling house in the Rue Saint Nicolas. The old swindler. I knew I had seen Madame Boycott's face before this morning. Diable! I must silence the Baron. If he recognizes me, he spoils my game. Turns up stage and goes out, left window, on to balcony. Margot throws open the door right and enters. This way, Monsieur le Baron, this way, Mademoiselle, if you please. Baron Crudel and Dorinda enter. Crudel is an untidy, dissolute old man, wearing a tightly buttoned-up suit of seedy black with no perceptible linen. The breast of his coat is decorated with some orders. Dorinda is a pretty, fresh-looking girl in a rather showy travelling dress. Thank you, my good woman. Thank you. Oh, Papa, what bang-up lodgings! Dorinda! To Margot. Acquaint Mrs. Boycott with the arrival of her father. Margot crosses to left. Say the word father very gently. For though my child expects me, still, as we have been apart for some time, too sudden a joy might prove dangerous. Yes, Monsieur le Baron. Crudel, taking off his very greasy and disreputable hat. Stay, take my hat. Margot takes it with much disgust between her finger and thumb. And don't let Mrs. Boycott see it before you announce me. The sudden sight of her father's hat might give my child a bit of a shock. Yes, Monsieur le Baron. Goes out left. Crudel and Dorinda sit on Ottoman, centre. Dorinda lolling back. Oh, Pa, isn't this proper? No low English vulgarisms, please, Dorinda. And no humbug, please, Baron. Nudging Crudel with her elbow. Don't you feel in clover at last, Pa, dear? Why should I, Dorinda? No longer dependent for one's miserable dinner on that wretched gaming salon, eh? Hush, Dolly. No more sick headaches over that ghastly baccarat, that dreadful lansquenet, and that horrid ecarte. No more card nightmares, no more gambling. Of course not, except for our own pleasure. No more horrid men to smoke and swear while we look on smiling. No more flare-ups with the police. 
It is all over. No more shameful misery. Oh, I'm so glad. Oh, I'm so glad. Wiping her eyes. Pa, I'll go to the English church at Sunnyville on Sunday. You see if I don't. So will I, my darling, if I'm well enough. Crudle takes out a little spirit flask from his pocket and puts it to his lips. Don't, Pa. I'll take that away from you if I see you put it to your lips again. It's only quinine, Dolly. A tonic for your old father. Fulbert looks in through the window, right. Fulbert, aside. I don't think my friend Boycott expected the old reprobate and his daughter this morning. Oh, mon dieu, what a family to marry. Millicent runs in from left. How do you do, Daddy? How are you, doll? My dear child, my firstborn. You're not so rosy as you used to be, Mill. Oh, I do like the cut of your dress. Turning about. I'm a swell too, ain't I? We are so astonished to see you. Didn't you get our letter? Yes, and I'm so ashamed of myself. Like a simpleton, I forgot to open it. Crudel is again drinking from the flask. Oh, good gracious. What is the matter? Knock it out of his hand, Millie. Slap him on the back and choke him. Millicent to Crudel. Don't drink that, father. I'll get you some coffee. My child, a little quinine, a tonic for your old father. Harold enters left, dressed for walking. Crudel embraces him. My dear son-in-law. Harold, coolly. How do you do, Mr. Crudel? Never better, dear boy, never better. Millie says she didn't open my letter this morning, so we come upon you as a pleasant surprise. You do as a surprise. Seeing Dorinda. Ah, Dolly, how are you? I'm A-1, brother-in-law. You did not expect, when you rose this morning, that Dorinda and your old father were winging their way to your peaceful little nest, did you? No, sir, I did not, and I shall be happy to exchange a few words with you on the subject at your convenience. Crossing over to Dorinda. You are looking very well, Dolly dear. Kisses her. At your service, my dear boy. Milly, show your sister to her room, will you? Come along, doll. You must be tired. Take me upstairs and lend me your powder puff, Mill. I shall be as fresh as a lark after that. Millicent and Dorinda cross to opening left. Got any new dresses, Mill? A few. Little Madame Vautier, the new Parisian dressmaker, is building me such a rig out. I'll tell you all about it. It's a demi-train skirt, embroidery down the front and round the train. 
open skirt filled in with deep kilting tied across with ribbon bows, short sleeves edged with fringe. Goes off left with Millicent, talking loudly. Light-hearted prattler. Just like her father, Harold. Just like his flow of spirits. Puts flask to his lips as before. A tonic, dear boy. A trifle of quinine. Now, Mr. Crudel. I beg your pardon, but Baron Crudel, if you please. A little matter of a title. A little matter of humbug and imposition, sir, which you will be good enough to waive with me. Seats himself at writing-table, right. Now, Mr. Crudel, I want to know the meaning of this intrusion. Crudel, sitting on Ottoman centre. Certainly, dear lad. I've given up the Parisian establishment. Baron Crudel's gaming saloon in the Rue Saint-Nicolas is a thing of the past, over which fond memory alone can delight, and the Baron is an independent gentleman. In other words, tapping his nose, I am on another and a better game. But what do I owe your uninvited presence here? Dear lad, didn't you hear me say I have left Paris? Well? Well, I have come to Rouen. Harold, rising. To remain? To remain? What more natural than that? Having severed my connection with a turbulent capital, I should seek an asylum in the calm repose of my son-in-law's provincial establishment. Harold, advancing firmly to Crudel. Mr. Crudel, when two years ago I married your daughter, I did not in any sense of the word wed her family. I took her, I am not ashamed to say it, from a gaming-house, from an atmosphere which would have poisoned the mind and contaminated the very soul of a woman an atom less pure than my dear Millie. Sir, there is contagion in moral as well as in physical maladies, and for this reason I must request that you and poor Dolly instantly withdraw from my house. Mr. Harold Boycott, I shall not withdraw from your house. You will not? Not if I can help it. When you married my girl, you did not marry her family, and for that you owe her family distinct reparation. I don't understand you. At the time you were sweethearting my Milly, there was a young Scotch lord after her. Dead on, Sir Bargad. Lord Kengussie, sir, a man with a pound in his bank for every penny piece you could ever hope to scrape up. A man who could and would have pensioned off his father-in-law and made the poor old gentleman's life a bed of roses. Well, Mr. Boycott, 
You took my girl from this Lord Kangussi. You, the manager of a cotton factory, spoiled her chance of wealth and a title, and did not pension off her devoted old father. Well, Crittle, rising excitedly. Well, sir, this Lord Kangussi is on the hook again, is he by gad? He lost Millie, and he is after Dolly. Dead on, sir, deader on than ever. And what is more, she is over head and ears with him, and he'll marry her in less than a year. And what have I to do with all this? Crudel seizing him by the coat. Why, if you don't stick to us, Harold, we shall go to smash. Kangasi makes it a condition that I give up my gaming table in Paris. My living, boy, my bread and meat, and give Dolly, poor girl, a twelve-month of gentility before he marries her. I thought of you, son-in-law, for yours is the only respectable house I know, and you were always open-hearted when you had the coin, and can go see thought of you, too. You won't lose by it in the end. Don't throw us over. If the air of the Rue St. Nicholas was bad for Milly, it's as bad for Dolly. And Dolly is as good a girl as ever breathed. Stick to us and we shall float. Throw us over and we are as homeless and helpless as the cur in the gutter that everyone kicks and shies at. Give us a helping hand, do, do, do. He sinks trembling and exhausted on Ottoman and puts the flask to his lips. Harold walks slowly to right and back again, pondering. Mr. Crudel, I'm a poor man, and at this moment I'm weighed down by certain business cares which forbid my incurring fresh responsibilities. Oh, dear, oh, dear. But, for Millie's sake, and for the sake of Millie's sister, you are welcome. Crudel, taking his hand. God bless you, dear lad, God bless you. And Gussie will turn up shortly, and he'll be delighted. Crudel is about to drink from Flask again, when Harold interposes and takes it from him. Pardon me, father-in-law, but there are one or two restrictions which I invariably impose on my guests. A little very respectable quinine, nothing more, dear lad. The first is brandy at seasonable times. Harold goes up to window right and flings the flask out into the court below. Fulbert is not in sight at the time. It is Lord Kengussie's desire that your new life be one of conventional respectability, and I shall respect that desire. If your craving for tonics is too freely indulged in, I shall be compelled to tell you that your welcome here is at an end. Under your roof we shall be respectable enough for a prince, not to speak of a Scotch lord. 
I must tell Dolly. I must, by gad. Dolly, we ought to stay. We are respectable, by gad. For the first time in our lives, we're de-respectable. Hurries off left. Poor devil, I couldn't have done less. Looks at watch. How light. I dread to go to my desk, but I must not stay longer. It would appear suspicious. Forbear, who has been out of sight upon the balcony, now enters through the window right. Boycott, are you ready? Oh, Forbear, a thousand pardons. I had forgotten you. Some unexpected arrivals disconcerted me. Let us waste no more time. Goes to door right. I am ready, old fellow. Millicent enters from left, followed by Dorinda. They come to Harold. Dolly has told me everything, Harold, and Papa says that he and Dolly are to stay. Dolly wants to thank you, dear. Nonsense. Dorinda comes to Harold, wiping her eyes. Harold, dear, I made up a speech on the second floor landing. It was a very pretty speech, and I, I, I've forgotten it. Throwing her arms around him. Harold, you're a brick. You're a goose. Goodbye, Millie. I'm off. Goodbye, dear. Don't be late. No. Now then, Forbear. Forbear. Up at door, bowing to Millicent. Madame. Millicent bows in return. Harold, aside. Shall I ever leave this house again with a light heart, I wonder? Takes Forbear's arm and they go off right. Dorinda, sitting left of Ottoman. Who's your foxy friend? Millicent, sitting right of Ottoman. A new clerk at the factory. He runs after Harold. Crudel re-enters from left in Harold's dressing jacket and slippers, and smoking a cigar. I've taken the liberty, girls of borrowing dear Harold's jacket and slippers. Going up to window, left. If there is a cup of coffee going, I don't mind partaking. Margot enters from left. Crudel intercepts her and speaks in an undertone. My dear, in the court below you will find a silver flask, which by accident dropped from the balcony. Get it refilled with the best, the very best, brandy. Make it an item of domestic expenditure. I shall not forget you. Yes, Monsieur Le Baron. Margot crosses over to Wright's doors. Where are you going, Margot? Crudel puts his fingers to his lips. Margot does not notice him. To fetch something for your dear papa. She goes out. Crudel sits at table on balcony. Dorinda to Millicent. I've always dropped in for your left-off goods all my life, Mill. Old dresses, old boots, old gloves. Not that I mind, dear, for you're a good sort, and an old garment is better than new when it has been worn by you. And now I've come in for your old sweetheart, Ronald Kingussy. Poor Ronald. He's soft, but he's good, like a sponge cake. 
mind you are good to him dolly for he's as kind-hearted as ever man was i treated him so badly but i'm glad you are to be his wife because you will be able to befriend me when he runs me down lord bless you he never runs you down he always speaks of you as if you were a very valuable specimen of a museum mummy a precious something to be talked about in whispers and not even to be dusted by sacrilegious hands i'll tell you a secret milly what a secret ronald kingussy loves me now because he loved you two years ago what do you mean i'm not a bit like you mill i know that i was always no end of a rough sort not soft and gentle as you are but there must be something in my face which reminds him of you some look in the eyes or some toss of the head and he loves me for it nonsense dolly he loves you for yourself i know i know better and i'm glad of it you are glad of it rising yes because i want him to think me like you since you left us i've had two more years of the little house in the rue saint nicolas and i'm no better for it and i love old ronald with all my soul because he's fool enough to look at a girl like me hush don't talk like that dolly i wish he was poor so that i could work for him i wish he was ill so that i could nurse him i'm not clever at anything but cutting an ace now and then but i would slave for ronald till my hands dropped off i would i would i would millicent kissing her dear old dolly hi if ken gussie were in rags and walking the muddy street without a shoe to his foot i'd sit up all night to work him a pair of woolen slippers crudel at table on balcony dorinda cut your father a slice of melon that's right dad make yourself at home goes up and sits with crudel on balcony millicent aside i shall be so happy when dolly is married i shall feel then that we can bid good-bye to even the recollection of our old life harold enters quickly from doors right closing doors after him he comes to millicent seeing crudel and dorinda on balcony he speaks in an undertone his manner is agitated harold back already hush something has happened something happened tell me harold quickly you are ill i see it in your face what is it sit down she sits left of ottoman he right are you brave milly oh harold what is it you have to tell me sweetheart i promised you that when the time came you should share my trials and dangers i have brought them to you now millicent looks at him and puts her hand in his but i have not told you that when you share my dangers you must share also my crimes your crimes she withdraws her hand my friends would designate my acts as crimes so will the law milly i have taken monies which do not belong to me and i am in trouble what have you to say to me rising 
Millicent rises with him and kisses him fondly. Nothing. Harold goes over to write and seats himself at desk. When seated, Millicent kneels at his feet. Tell me about it. You know how fond I am of my young brother. You know that from the day we were both left orphans I have tried to stand in the place of a father to him. Well, three weeks ago I suddenly hear from him that he has lost in betting a very large sum. The money must be paid at once, or our names would be dishonoured and my brother would never be able to hold up his head again. Algy explained that five hundred pounds was owing to him from a friend who he confidently expected would pay him in a few days. But his debtor was in Norway, and the matter would bear no delay. His only chance was that I should be able to help him." "'And you did, you dear generous Harold!' I had not the amount. My whole savings were not nearly enough. But during the absence of the heads of the firm at Marseilles I have had the entire conduct of the factory and the daily handling of large sums of money. Why should I not save my brother by employing part of this money? It would be repaid before the return of my employers. Who would be the wiser? Who would be the worse?" "'Oh, Harold! And your brother has not returned the money?' His friend, curse him, failed to pay him. My brother has written to him day after day, but, as I heard this morning, till now without result. Millie, darling, I am a ruined and dishonoured man. I have just heard that Monsieur Ribot, the head of the factory, returns to-day. Tomorrow I shall have to account for every penny which has passed through my hands. I have betrayed my trust, and I can hope for no mercy." Millicent takes off her bracelets and necklace and gives them to Harold. I have some more jewellery and a little money upstairs, dear. I will fetch it." She is about to rise. He detains her. "'My dear little wife, it is useless.' Places jewellery on desk. "'As I told you, my debt to the firm is more than ten thousand francs.' Ten thousand francs! Oh, Harold! How can we raise so large a sum by tomorrow?' "'It is impossible.' There is no hope. Millicent, rising. There is hope. There must be hope. I will get it. I will get it if I die for it. Margot enters. Door right. Lord Kengussie. Lord Kengussie enters. Margot goes out. Kengussie is a fair-haired, mild-looking young Scotchman. How do you do, Lord Kengussie? Bless me, how are you? Shaking her hand. How is Mr... Dear me, where goes his name? I've no memory. Harold advances. How do you do? Taking Harold's hand. This is an awful intrusion, but the fact is I knew Dolly was here, and I have not seen her since yesterday, and I wanted to know if she was pretty comfortable, which of course I knew she would be with you, and I wished particularly to renew my acquaintance with you and Mrs. Uh, 
Bless me. There goes the name again. I am very pleased to see you. Leading him to window left. Here is Dolly and Mr. Crudle. King Gussie, aside. Yes, I thought I scented the Baron. Harold and King Gussie join Crudle and Dorinda on the balcony. Millicent, aside, down stage right centre. Ten thousand francs, or exposure and disgrace. Money or ruin. What shall I do? Cry and give up the game as others do? Ken Gussie from upstage. You have always rosy cheeks, Dolly dear. You shall never lose them if I can help it by Jove. Millicent aside. Ken Gussie, he is so rich. He might help me. Shall I ask my rejected lover to help the man who took me from him? <laughs> I cannot. I am a weaker creature than I thought. I cannot do that. Oh, how I wish I were back in the little gaming-house in Paris, in all my old misery and wretchedness, with my pack of cards. Cards? Cards? Why should they not help me? Covering her face with her hands. No, no, not again. And yet, why not? Nothing can undo the past. Why am I so squeamish now? Ken Gussie comes down left centre. Haven't you anything to say to me, Mrs? Confound it, there goes the name again. Haven't you anything to say to an old friend, Millie? Millicent takes necklace and bracelets from table and advances to Ken Gussie. I am very pleased to see you again, Lord Ken Gussie. Sitting on Ottoman, right. Ken Gussie, leaning over Ottoman at back. Thanks. Millicent, putting on necklace. And so delighted to hear about you and dear Dolly. Ken Gussie, he arranges the fastening of Millicent's necklace. Yes, I am in love with Dolly. She is your sister, you know. Yes, I know. She is so unlike, and yet so like you. Is it very wicked for a fellow to marry a young lady because she resembles someone else? Yes, very wicked. Then I deserve to be hanged. Millicent is arranging a bracelet. She holds out her hand to Ken Gussie. He fastens bracelet. Permit me. Do you notice much change in me? Yes, you are very jolly and kind, which you used not to be. We grow wiser as we grow older. All wise people are kind. All kind people are not wise. Look at me. I try to be kind, and all my friends tell me I'm a regular fool. How can they be so rude? They speak the truth. I am a fool. You made a fool of me two years ago. You are not very kind now. You contrive to be much pleasanter in the old days. Yes, in the old days I never opened my mouth. Now that you are married, I can talk somehow. 
how glad you must be then that i am married how long do you remain in rouen i leave here to-morrow for macan in argyleshire and dolly's to remain in your care let me see as much of you as possible stay i have a bright idea i'm sure you have this is such a happy reunion i will give a little party to-night a nice quiet little family party you are one of our family now you know crudle loudly from balcony that's the fellow sir stabbed his wife in the left lung with a carving knife by gad ken gussie glancing over his shoulder towards crudle yes i know will you come of course you know i will and i have another idea we too will have a match at ecarte we are old enemies at cards and i owe you your revenge ken gussie i have not played at ecarte since we two played together two years ago in the little house in the rue saint nicolas i never was much of a hand at ecarte but i always like to sit opposite to you in those old days to sit opposite you and look into your face you will play better now those old days have made their bow and departed now the face for which you used to neglect the game has lost its freshness don't forget cards at ten i shall not forget mrs ah by jove where goes the name boycott never mind melee will do i shall not forget melee dorinda comes from balcony dorinda to king gussie ronald i beg your pardon pray don't make a mistake we are two sisters that is milly this is dolly one is married the other single just so millicent hastily dolly dear play something i never play now do doll ken gussie takes dorinda to the pianet and stands by her side millicent to harold 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 comes down harold keep a firm brave heart and go down to the factory again as if all were well there is there is hope hope dorinda plays a lively air french very softly on the piano don't ask me how or why leave all to me and question nothing i say or do milly you are mad have you forgotten what i was in my father's house in the rue saint nicolas before you rescued me from its misery and degradation have you forgotten what they called me then because of my never-failing good fortune because of my luck they called me the money spinner i shall see if i can spin now as i could spin then no no milly i forbid it the doors right open and Faubert enters dorinda ceases playing i pardon my entering unannounced your servant is absent boycott our monsieur ribot has returned from marseilles 
and requires to see you millicent aside to harold have courage harold going up to faubert i am ready millicent rising monsieur faubert we have a little family party here to-night cards and reminiscences at ten o'clock will you join us faubert bowing madame i shall be so happy millicent reseating herself harold introduce monsieur faubert harold taking faubert's arm faubert my sister-in-law miss crudel lord kengussie monsieur jos faubert dorinda nods kengussie bows harold takes faubert over to left dorinda aside to kengussie i hate sandy men looking at kengussie's fair hair oh i beg your pardon ronald harold to crudel mr crudel let me introduce you to my friend faubert harold leaves faubert left and joins kengussie and dorinda at piano crudel entering from balcony baron crudel my son-in-law should have said how do you do starting back with surprise Krogan. Fulbert, laying his finger on his lips hush keep my secret and it will be well for you Fulbert looks quietly at crudel and then goes over to right of ottoman and speaks to millicent Fulbert to millicent madame you will never pardon me i am always trying to take your good husband away from you they talk crudel left dorinda yes pa dorinda leaves harold and kengussie and joins crudel crudel aside to dorinda trembling dolly don't you recognize that fellow forbear not a bit you haven't the scent that i have not a word not a whisper of what i'm going to tell you that man is pierre gragon one of the best-known detectives in the parisian police what of it what of it he is a worm with the sting of a serpent what the devil is he doing here he is a clerk now in harold's factory i suppose he has given up collaring swindlers become one himself she returns to the pianet and reseats herself harold goes to right crudel stands left aghast are you coming forbear certainly my friend to millicent bowing au revoir madame we meet to-night dorinda resumes playing softly forbear goes up and bows to her and kengussie speaking a few words to them in an undertone as millicent speaks millicent aside on ottoman to-night what will that bring the money spinner and the man who once loved her so dearly oh, what is it i am going to do what am i going to do she buries her face in her hands faubert joins harold 
Come, forbear. As they are leaving, the door's right are thrown open, and Margot appears with Crudel's spirit flask. Margot loudly holding up the flask. She brandy for Monsieur le Baron. Dorinda bursts out laughing and plays very forte. Crudel hastily goes out through the opening left as curtain falls quickly. End of Act One